When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan, and welcome to the show, everybody. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. We release uh, new episodes every Monday. And if you've been around for a little while and you have an artist that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, if you love the show, become a patron by clicking on the link below. You get episodes early and special access to our Bad Music Podcast, which is whenever we talk about the six worst episodes of the artists that uh we talk about on the show but today sorry patrons uh today is not one of those days because uh it's honestly this has become like one of my favorite segments because this is music history yeah 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 so lucas where uh kind of if you can for the people that are just joining kind of give us give us like can you give us like a macro recap yeah so um the last episode of every month we've been dedicating to this little sub-series where we've been moving through the history of music we started all the way back in like 3000 bc with ancient egyptian music talked about the ancient greeks and romans and then um kind of started the actual path of uh contemporary music with gregorian chants and all of the stuff during the medieval period we made it through the renaissance with catholic mass and madrigals last month we talked about uh the first opera which was our first kind of stepping point oh, into insane. the Baroque period yes it's going to continue to be insane this week but i'm going to leave you guys in suspense for a little bit because there's something i wanted to talk about with you guys before oh, we fully ooh, right. jump in what do you got so as you guys know i am a big follower of the rock and roll hall of fame yeah and our inductees have finally been announced <gasps> no yep they came out two days oh, ago i don't okay. remember i remember us kind of like i i remember us kind of having oh, i don't think i have my notes on that anymore i remember you listed them off and i wrote yeah them. i don't remember I my thought. notes either oh, i'm looking through them no. i already know i was wrong i already know i was wrong though I remember that I thought that LL Cool J would make it, and that was my that was my pick, and I wanted Jay Z to make it. Well, um, I'll need to. Uh, um, there, this is a really, really interesting uh, year. Mm-hmm. Honestly, quite bizarre, but 
I mean, I am a little bit disappointed because Iron Maiden did not make the cut. What? Mm -hmm. That feels like an insult. Yeah, and it was so many people have been making such a big deal about it that the president of the hall had to make a statement and say, no, we don't hate heavy metal. We promise we will get them in there. Just not this year. Bruh. Yeah. I mean, this was the year to do it because they were kind of like, you know. But there's let's let's talk about what did happen though. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with the the the, the slam dunk, the no brainer. Tina Turner's in. Yeah. Hey. That was our that was kind of our podcast pick, right? Yeah. Because we did the I can see Tina Turner. We had we had your back, mm-hmm. Tina. Yeah. This that was the one that that was the only one where I was like, it's a hundred percent. There's no possible way that she's not getting in. <laughs> Um, the one that I probably was the most locked in after that was Foo Fighters, and they indeed got in. Yeah, yeah. the favorites. The they're, yeah. the they're the teacher's pet of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be happy, Ethan, to know that Jay-Z did make it in. Oh, yeah! Um, also, Carol King has made it in, which I had picked her getting okay. in. Uh, the Go-Go's made it. I think you called that. Yeah. The wild card, I would say, is Todd Rundgren. He made it in. Hmm. Was that the Afrikaans guy? No. He did not make it, even though he got second place in the fan vote overall. Okay. Did Iron Maiden get first in the fan vote? No, they got fourth. Tina Turner got first. Oh, okay. They beat out Foo Fighters, though. It was Tina Turner, Fila Cootie... Go-Go's, Iron Maiden, Foo Fighters. That was the top five. Okay. So those are our performers. Five performers. Or six performers. Tina Turner, Carol King, Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Foo Fighters, Todd Rundgren. But those aren't the only people that get in every year. There's also other categories that people can get in. Um, They tend to go towards more obscure people but it's kind of a chance for if you're not like super mainstream for you to have a chance okay every year they induct people in what's called the early influence award okay where like this is their chance to really honor a lot of people that came in like the 40s and the 50s and kind of people that weren't like huge um successful and mainstream but were important to the formation of a genre of music and so um, there's there were three people in here. One of them was Gil Scott Heron, which I believe he had. He's I don't really know who he is, but from the brief little bio I read about him, I think he had to do something with like um, developing a lot of seventies, sixties. Uh, Charlie Patton, who is an an old thirties and forties blues guitar player. And this was one, the third one is the one I'm most interested in. And I think this is, this is, it's picks like this that make this class so interesting. Craftwork got in, which if you don't know who Craftwork is, they're the guys that pretty much invented electronic music. Hmm. I think, didn't we talk about them in our Daft Punk episode? Yeah, because like Daft Punk pulls from Craftwork pretty hard. Like Craftwork started in like the early 70s. They're they're German. All of their songs are in German. And 
they were they were the leaders of a movement called Krautrock, which I think when we get into the history of music, that's that's a fascinating road to go down because mm-hmm. the music is weird, but it's very much the uh, it it honestly it's it's the first sign in the seventies of what the eighties were going to be. Everything they they Kraftwerk really experimented with all things synth and electronic and drum loops and before anyone was doing any kind of thing like that Mm -hmm. so they've been nominated several times before as well just for the normal category and so but it was like it was always one of those things it's like there's no way they're ever going to get in because they're they don't sing in english they weren't huge over in the states but they're obviously very important because that's the genesis point of electronic music of synth music right so it was really cool to see them and i i don't know a whole lot about them but i know some of their stuff and i like it so um so those that's the early influence category then we have the musical excellence category so this is given to people that are just important music icons that perhaps wouldn't get inducted any other way this is something like um the e street band which is bruce springsteen's band because Uh they have a i didn't realize this until recently that they have a rule that if if a solo artist gets inducted in his musicians don't get or her musicians don't get inducted with them so like when Bruce Springsteen got inducted into the Hall of Fame, the E Street Band didn't get inducted with him because it's just Bruce Springsteen. Okay. So they wanted they obviously wanted to acknowledge his players and so on a different year they inducted the E Street Band in this category of the Music Excellence Award. Nile Rodgers has been in, inducted in this category because, you know, a band like Chic is not going to get inducted in of himself but because he was such an influential guitar player and producer and just all around kind of icon they give him this so he can be in the rock hall of fame because he deserves to be uh, yeah. this is where a lot of your session your great session musicians will find their way into the rock and roll hall of fame because of this so a lot of sidemen um like uh this was the way that ringo got inducted as a standalone artist which I think is funny because they didn't induct him as a normal category for his solo work. They just inducted him in because he was part of the Beatles. <laughs> um, but there's three people, and this is what is hilarious. This is where LL Cool J is getting inducted in. Yeah. But I don't understand why he's in this category and not in the performer category. Maybe it doesn't. Because he did a lot of work as a producer as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why they're inducting him instead of... So they're pretty much saying, we don't see you as much as a performer, but as a producer. Like, he was and mainly a rapper, but... Because people that get inducted in this category aren't part of the normal nomination. Especially not when they're nominated that year for the main category. Yeah. It's just, it's really weird. But I mean, okay, cool. Maybe they're just trying to provide some constructive criticism, you know, like, hey, maybe focus on this other aspect of your career, you know? Well, he has, I don't think he's rapped in a really long time. He's mainly an L. Okay, so he's got the message, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Loud and clear. Yeah. I just, I just think it's, 
I would have this would have maybe made sense a different year, but I think it's weird that he was part of the normal voting pool this year and got inducted anyway, but in a different category. Yeah. Yeah. It's it weird that it happened the weird. same year. It's almost like because this was like his fifth time getting nominated. So it's almost like you think, well, it's looking like people are never gonna vote you in, but we want to get you in, so here here's a way. Yeah. Hey, you're in, you're in, you know. I know. It's just, it's a little weird. I'm going to be curious to watch the induction ceremony and see their reasoning. I feel like, I mean, maybe it was a part of, like, he was a part of, like, the swell of rap, like, becoming into the mainstream. Still, though, those people usually are in the performer category. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is weird. I'm I'm gonna be curious to see what their reasoning is. So we got two hip hop guys in there now. Yep. I mean, there's they're not the first hip hop guy, yeah. but uh, also Billy Preston got inducted in. He is a legendary keyboard player. Played with lots of different people. He even played with the Beatles on for a little bit. Uh, it's his organ that plays on songs like "Get Back" and "I Want You," "She's So Heavy," and. Um, pretty much any organ you hear in Let It in the Let It Be album or the Abbey Road record, and then he had a couple of big hits of his own as well as a solo artist. But he was a in, a very famous session player, so that's someone like it makes sense for him to be in this category. And then this is the one, the third drum one roll. is drum the roll, third, please. You know what I'm about to say? I, I have it pulled up. I know exactly who you're going to say. It makes me Randy so happy. Randy Rhodes. <laughs> this, this, this helps alleviate the sting of Iron, Iron Maiden's Maiden. exclusion. No, this I is I... one of the best decisions the Rock Hall has ever made. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, Ra- Randy is the other side of the, like, EVH guitar hero. And Halen, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're they're both equally important in shaping guitar at that period of time. Right, he's much more neoclassical, so you can kind of you can yeah. You I mean, obviously, Van Halen, Van Halen got more of the attention. First off, he was oh, in a more sure. commercially appealing band. Yeah. He got there first. He lived longer. Um, but. Randy Rose well, in there with Black Sabbath, right? He's not in there on his own. No, and that's the thing I read is that if when if and when Ozzy gets inducted, Randy wouldn't be inducted with him because again, it's a solo project. Yeah, right. And so this is their way of saying, Randy, this is we're gonna honor you and and what you did for guitar. Because yeah, he if, for those of you that don't know, he died in a plane crash at the age of twenty five. Yep. And so like and it, his. It, it was completely avoidable too. It was just terrible. If you actually go and look up the story, it's like yeah, those they guys. were being they were being very reckless. Yeah, and he wasn't even being reckless himself. He was just no. at the wrong place, the wrong time, mm-hmm. with the wrong people. Yep. Yeah. So this at least shows that they're going to open the door to metal. I mean, obviously I wish that Iron Maiden would have made it in. Right, right. But to see this, this was just like, okay, I I like this. This this is the right step. Yep. I can say that me personally, I'd rather have Randy Rhodes in than Iron Maiden, but objectively 
you know, it's kind of, I feel like Iron Maid's more important. Yeah. But I'll take it. This, this is really cool. Yeah. I'll take it. Um, yeah, so just he he's one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Where Eddie Van Halen introduced the idea of shredding and the whole all the te- technique and the tapping that went with it. If you think about it, you can't really hum a Van Halen solo. <laughs> They're kind of more like Yeah. That's kind of what uh, makes them cool. It's kind of the appeal of them. Yeah, it's very but... alien sounding. I mean, but, anybody but, who's ever heard Mr. Crowley can hum that last solo. You can hum both of them. Well, he, that last Ran- solo is more iconic is what I mean. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, when Randy Rhodes shreds, it's very melodic. And so he brought that other aspect of shredding to where it's like there's a melody line through it. It's from good guys like Randy Rhodes that you have guitar players like John Petrucci and Ingve Malmsteen and... Yep. And Satriani and Vi, like they all come from the Randy Rhodes school, mm-hmm. where you could say that you know maybe even just a lot of the hair metal of just where it's just this this you know the the fast playing it really it really stems from what Randy did. Yeah, all your thrash metal guitarists. So I mean, immense, immense uh, influence. And then there's one last category, and that's the Ahmet Erdogan Award, and that's given to people that are not musicians in the music industry. So your producers, your managers, um, the important behind-the-scenes people. And so uh, Clarence Avent is getting that recognition. Who what did he do? Was, he was a radio station owner, and he was also um, – he was, I believe, Otis Redding's producer. Oh wow! And and kind of really helped to get a lot of um, African American music out there and into the public. Gotcha. So, I that, that was kind of a long explanation, but I wanted to explain kind of these different subcategories because obviously all the focus and the voting goes towards the performer categories. But this is the most interesting side. Uh, I'm almost more interested in all these side awards than the main ones. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so interesting this year. Like, Kraftwerk finally getting in is so cool. Obviously, Randy Rhodes coming in is awesome. I love Billy Preston. The LL Cool J is so weird that it's fascinating. Um, it's going to be interesting. the The ceremony is going to be October thirtieth on HBO. So we still got to wait a while to actually see the induction. But that's why don't they? Why don't they do it like the Grammys and just like have everybody that's up for nomination just show up and read off a card? Um, because that's how they've always done it and they're not going to change it. Oh. Alright. I think if they make more money doing it like the Grammys. Who knows? Well, now we, I feel like we can finally get into uh, yes. tonight's discussion. Just I'm, I'm a big follower and fan of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's something I look forward to every year. So of course I had to, yep. to give my two cents about it. 
By the way, last last little anecdote. Gene Simmons said that the exclusion of Iron Maiden in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is disgusting. So, <laughs> Gene Simmons has been known to be right a few times. This yeah, is one of those. Despite what you think of him, I'm I'm I agree with that statement. All right. So we are continuing our journey through history of music we are in the baroque period fully finally last month with l'orfeo and the first opera yes was kind of our our transition from the renaissance to the baroque and now we are fully uh in it we will not be adherently moving chronologically through the baroque period rather we're going to be just kind of bouncing between a lot of the important movements Okay. The uh, the important musical styles of the Baroque period. So, like, what we're going to be talking about tonight was written and performed in 1741, and L'Orfeo was in 1609. So it's a very large sure. jump, but it's the Baroque period lasts from about 1600 to 1750. Okay. So it still falls in the Baroque period, but this is a more of a late Baroque, but I just wanted to start with this. It's just what I wanted to do, and you know what? You can deal with it. The, <laughs> those of you that are naysayers and haters, we're going to be talking about Handel's Messiah. Oh, I called it. You did call it. it. Before we actually started recording... Like, the first thing I said to Lucas was, I have a prediction. It's just a hunch. We're going to be talking about Handel's Messiah. Because at the end of last episode, when we were talking about Johnny Cash, he was like, oh, we're going to the Baroque period, and it's going to be one of the greatest compositions of all time. And, of course, everybody knows the Hallelujah Chorus, or at least that main motif. And so I'm like, Handel's Messiah. That's my <laughs> best guess. I figured we were going to go through one entire complete work, and that's the only entire, like, full um i guess suite that i know from the baroque era there's a guess... ones I'm sure you'll know that you just don't know our baroque mm -hmm. well the one I we're going to talk about next month i guarantee you're going to know i <laughs> bet i bet i'm not going to predict that one i don't want to i don't want to say anything but yeah anyway i'm so proud of myself being able to predict it well so then go ahead and give me your first thought okay so um, other than the Hallelujah Chorus, I don't know anything about Handel's Messiah at all. I mean, I took an eighth grade musical history class where we went from Renaissance to modern, and we talked about Handel's Messiah in depth, but that doesn't mean that I remember everything <laughs> since then. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was, you know, almost seven years ago now. So, um, uh, yeah, so I don't know a lot of the details, but I do know how to sing the bass part because I was a bass and choir. Um, I remember it being like a big deal. It would be it. It's like the rust in piece of Baroque music. It's like the logical conclusion of of. It's the most Baroque to the max, or at least stereotypical Baroque to the max is what it's what it has been marketed to me as an eighth grader. I remember that being a big point but other than that i mean i don't know too much about handle himself i don't know you know any of the motifs from the other songs um i guess we don't necessarily have to do the ranking because an artist 
so I'll refrain. But that's that's kind of my first thoughts. I'm kind of coming in blind. I think I have the average knowledge, maybe barely like above average knowledge of what we're going to get into. Fair enough. Ethan, whenever I say Handel's Messiah, does that ring any bells in your mind? That that does nothing for me. Really? I am so neutral. Uh, I wouldn't have even known that the Hallelujah Chorus was on uh, was a part of this if Grant wouldn't have said it. Really? Um, I know the Hallelujah Chorus, but I wouldn't have, if someone was like, hey, what's that from? I would have been like, I don't know. <laughs> I've never even well, thought way to about it, spoil it, Grant. I'm so sorry. Okay, I thought that was common knowledge. I thought everybody yeah, probably should. Grade probably should class. be common knowledge. Honestly, I, that would, I was I was expecting at least one of you guys whenever we play that song to go. Oh, that's from this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would have been me. But no, that, that I'm feeling that now. Um, yeah, it's not gonna be you anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah now i know uh yeah i have no idea i i guess i'm a five i guess i like the holly of course but i i guess i like it more in a way like i wouldn't just turn it on to be like oh man i need to listen to you know it's it's kind of like turned into like a a kid's cartoon kind of meme yeah or, yeah somebody it was it, my it's mom's so noticeable program. it's so noticeable that Mm -hmm. like it's now just used like like the second that you hear it you you know all the emotion that needs to be known in the scene you know yeah and so it's i mean i like it i I don't think i've ever critically listened to the hallelujah chorus though so uh and i definitely didn't know that it was in the baroque period you know it's all uh so i'm i'm a five completely neutral Uh, there there's a like lot of canvas uh, here. There's a lot of interesting movement and um, rhythmic kind of nuances in there, and modulation in the Hallelujah chorus. If you can pick up on all of it. So the real question is what what really changes musically from because I guess we're bookmarking the Baroque period with Lorfeo being kind of the technical start, you know, like uh-huh. we talked about, and then this being uh, maybe not the end, but the pinnacle, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think, what... I think it provides us a great starting point for the Baroque period. Cause it's like, we're going to get as like, like Grant said, this is as Baroque as it gets. And I'm, it's hard to argue with that. But, so um, what, what musically is, has changed in the hundred years between Lorfeo and Messiah. So the biggest development of the Baroque period is the um, the importance of instrumental music, which is it seems it's going to seem irrelevant because we're going to be talking about a very vocal style of music here. Yeah. Vocal music does not go away, but never before in a time period has instrumental music had any kind of significance. It's at least not since our ancient yeah. days. Well, even they don't. About. We don't even know if it was back then. It's just we didn't you have words. You mentioned in the last episode in Lorfeo how opera was invented, where it's like people just started coming to hear the music, you know, in between the. Yeah, well, w- that music did have words. 
but like you were saying that before like before opera it was like there would be a play and then there would be like an intermission where like a band would play yes but they would go back and people would just start going to listen to the music and the intermissions i should clarify in those intermissions there were words with music it wasn't oh okay it was like a chorus would come out and kind of like give a recap of what happened in the previous act okay that makes sense so it's not it wasn't instrumental sorry if that was confusing um no instrumental music really started to emerge as a dominant and serious form of music during the baroque period this um first off in the baroque period we finally have the final evolution of most of what we call our orchestra instruments so our violins, our oboes, our clarinets, the only th- major instrument that's not uh, around yet at this point is the piano. The piano wouldn't really come around until the next time period. And so the harpsichord is still the dominant um, keyboard instrument. And so like very much, if you ever hear like, people using harpsichord it always everyone can say oh that's very baroque sounding because that's just that's the the instrument more than any other instrument that gets associated with the baroque because mm-hmm. once the piano came in the classical period it just like the harpsichord literally got thrown in the trash <laughs> no one used it well it's it's used in the doctor strange soundtrack now well, I'm, it didn't get it didn't get start used again until modern times. Until it was nostalgic. Until yeah. it was nostalgic. Yeah. It was like, oh, hey, this sounds really cool and old. Yeah. You didn't hear classical and romantic composers using a harpsichord hardly ever. It was very not, rare if it did. Not it's not used for a contemporary style anymore. No. Um. So. Yeah, there's there's this rise and there's this importance now of even when you have vocal music, the instrumental music underneath, it's very important as well. It's almost as important. And so when we get to this style of music that we're going to be talking about tonight, which is called the oratorio, it's it's, it's a it's different from an opera, but it it kind of is the same. They have the same roots. You're going to find that the, the, the orchestra and the symphony is very, very powerful. And in order for them to justify having such a powerful uh, instrumental section, you have to have a really beefy vocal. So you're not going to have, you know, like how we had in Lorfeo where we have mostly one-on-one singing with very little chorus uh, singing in the oratorio it's like mostly chorus singing with some solo singing mm. mm-hmm. and it's so because when you have the more voices singing you can afford to have a louder instrumental section yeah. that makes sense oratorios are big bombastic like massive productions an oratorio is always christian in uh, its subject matter, pretty much they're religious operas. Mm-hmm. But also, there's not actors and big sets like there are in operas. There's you're not going to have people walking around on stage in costumes acting out a part, 
Rather, it'll tell a narrative story from start to finish, but it's going to be more sung rather than acted. Hmm. So you'll have the people standing in their places singing about this story, but it is a story, but you won't have actors and actresses. And they're, like I said, they're all Christian. So it's, um, you know, you'll have oratories called Esther and Solomon and Saul and uh, Israel and Egypt. And it's all telling stories from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And Messiah, obviously, is the story of the Messiah. So uh, let's let's talk about the creator of Messiah, George Frederick Handel. So Handel is German-born. Oh, okay. I was going to guess something like that. <laughs> he is German-born, Italian-trained, and English-performing. Uh, so he's he's got the full um, scope. Cosmopolitan. Uh... Yeah, there. he's known as the most famous and revered English composer, but he's not even English. It's quite the feat. He lived the entire second half of his life in England. Well, but he's not like in England. He is treated as if he was born there. That's how much they love him. Wow. No, it's just like we'll take you. No other natural-born English composer is as loved there as Handel is. Maybe he just likes tea a little bit more than beer, you know. <laughs> like he's he's been Mr. Abbey. Oh my! Wow. Along with the great English men like Geoffrey Chaucer and uh, William Shakespeare, and like he, that's where they only give that spot. You know, Charles Dickinson and um, or Charles Dickens, whatever he's called. Yeah. Um, like you know, all the all the great English men and creators and politicians, like he is. That's his eternal uh, company. Mm-hmm. They have statues of him everywhere. Um, his song "Zadok the Priest" is what is performed at every coronation. Wow! wow. Which we'll probably get to hear in the not too distant future <laughs> not i'm not saying i think the queen's going to die but she is also in her mid 90s no one lives forever it's true so in in our lifetime when the next coronation happens you'll get to hear handel's zadok the priest being played so like you know the fact that your music is what goes along with crowning the next king and queen, that's a big deal. Yeah. So yeah. he just one day he just wrote Messiah and that was it. Uh yes. So he um kind of worked around the patronage system. He had patrons, but he also made a great deal to make himself independent. Yeah. Oh, he got uh, tenure. Yes. <laughs> Um, his biggest thing is that he got to perform exclusively for the royal family. So really, the royal family, you could say, were his uh, were his patrons. How did he get that gig? Just he came to London on assignment for a different patron. His his patron said, "Hey, I've got some friends over in England. I want you to go write something for them. You're going to spend a year there." 
So he went there and his music was so loved by everyone that they convinced him to stay. And then his uh, patron got pissed off at him. And through a series of political events I'm not willing to go into, his patron became the next king of England. (sighs) Because that's how that happened a lot back then. You had these different countries bartering over who gets the throne, sometimes over peaceful negotiations, sometimes by war. And uh, his German patron ended up becoming through, I think, either through marriage or some kind of hostile takeover, became the next king of England. All right. And I was just like, okay, Handel, you're my guy now. Wow. Supreme Uh, luck. Yeah. So, Messiah was towards the end of his career. Came out in 1741, like I said earlier. And um, the reason that oratorios came about was that uh, in the Catholic world, it was illegal to perform and attend operas during Lent, which is that period between, I think it's Ash Wednesday and Easter. I don't know. I don't, I don't observe Lent, so I'm not sure if that's right, but I think that that sounds right. right. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's it's I think it's like a sixty day period mm-hmm. or a thirty day period, something like that. You get the idea. But during that time it's very, very serious. Like, you know, it's you know, alcohol, you um you do a lot of fasting, you don't partake in earthly pleasures. It's like it's a very serious time, all leading up to kind of getting your heart and your mind in the right place for Easter. Mm-hmm. It's the whole reason Mardi Gras exists is it's the big party before Lent. <laughs> That's, That's what Mardi Gras it. is. It's cram as cram 60 days worth of sin and debauchery into two nights. And then you start Lent where you can do <laughs> none of those things. <laughs> Man. So because of the fact that operas were secular, um, the Catholic church said, no, you can't go see them and we're not going to allow operas to be played. And so almost as a loophole, they came up with the idea of oratorios where it's like, it's opera, but it's Christian. We're telling Christian stories. Oh, man. Tell no, no this time. is this is an opera. No, this is completely different than opera. This is very Christian. <laughs> yeah. So that's how the oratorio came around. I love it. Um, they never really caught on in most of Europe, but in England – they were the biggest musical form. Hmm. Um, well, you, didn't, didn't, you didn't have the Anglican church at that point, right? Yeah. And so they didn't, they didn't do it for the same reason as say, like uh, people in Italy. Opera was always the main form of songwriting, even in the Baroque period and the classical period, like in Italy, opera was the be all end all because hmm. I, I was, I was hearing someone explain this, that, um, because the Italian language inherently is so beautiful sounding, they tended to always move towards um, lyrical work. Your great Italian composers are going to tend to be um, ones that write for the voice. Yeah. Or your German composers, because the German language is a more harsh, more consonant-driven language, that they're going to veer more towards the instrumental music. 
because the German language does not sound as good being sung, unless you're Rammstein. <laughs> yeah. So, I've never heard it pronounced like that before, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's that was that's how a German would pronounce it. Yeah, here, here in, I've been Ramstein. pronouncing Ramstein for the longest time. No, I actually did take some German when I was in college, so I learned how to pronounce German words. That makes sense. Rammstein. Um, so, so opera was always more popular, and oratorios were mm. kind of more just necessary. But Italian opera has never really caught on in England. England didn't care to learn the Italian language, didn't really care to hear it. They wanted to hear things in their own language. Kind of sounds like modern audiences today. Yeah. And um, and they just – any originally that – because that's where Handel's original training was in was he – wrote operas that was like mm-hmm. his specialty mm-hmm. and he was finding that his operas he was writing in england people weren't attending them <laughs> so he switched over to oratorios and all of a sudden he was making bank and not only during lent just like year round oh yeah wow like so that started just- off as something during lent and then it was so big that people were like just do it again <laughs> yeah yeah and of course, Messiah, even when it came out, Messiah was kind of seen as like the grand achievement. Yeah. Well, it's not one of those things that was like, oh, it was okay when it came out and then it's grown in stature over time. Mm-hmm. Like Handel got to reap the, the praise and benefits of Messiah while he was still alive. He died so, in 57, I believe. Did anyone else try to write a Jesus oratorio or whatever? Not that I know of. Like, was this, like, like people writing about Ruth and Esther and random Moses, you know? Mm. And then he, and then Handel comes and he's like, I'm going to write the one about Jesus, and it's going to be the best one. <laughs> well, something also to know is that he did not write the words. Ooh. Typically, opera writers never wrote the words to their operas. They had what's called librettos. So usually the words were written by someone else and they would take the words and they would put the music to the words. So it's like, if you're an opera writer, the first thing before you write any music is is you've got to find the right libretto. Hmm. And so, you know, you've got to wait until the the project. And so it wasn't uh, Handel going, I'm going to write an oratorio about the Messiah. he got the libretto of Messiah. I was just like, okay, I guess this is what we're going to go for. But he but, was the one to attempt it. Were there Was there anybody else to attempt it on, like, the Jesus oratorio? Was there other Jesus oratorios before him? No, not that I know of, but I'm pretty confident in my answer of no. Okay. I mean, that's that. If you're going to write one about the Lord, it's got to, yeah. you've got to be the best <laughs> of the best. Yeah. And I, I think like Handel is the only one of that time that would have had the the balls to go, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah, like the ho- when the Hallelujah Chorus was played for the very first time in front of an audience, standing ovations were not a normal thing. 
he received a standing ovation as the song was continuing. <laughs> I thought it was as soon as the monarch at the time heard it. Yep, because he was the one that stood first. Mm-hmm. And then when, he, when the audience sees that the king is standing, yeah, everyone else stand. better stand too. And that's why we stand during it now. Yep. And so it just became a tradition. Handel's Messiah is the oldest piece of music that is never gone out of uh, circulation and being performed on a yearly basis. So it's not that it's now back in style. It never went out of style. It has endured. Man. Like this is, this is a Christmas slash Easter tradition for most everywhere in the world. So this is by far our most relevant music history episode so far. Oh yeah. I would say that this is we are we have finally now entered the time period where on a consistent basis you're going to start hearing music that's like I've heard that before. Oh, so now we're we're here. We are here. Like the baroque period is full. You're going to hear a lot of stuff throughout the next couple months of just like I've heard that. I've heard that. I know that. Mhm. You just might not have known where it came from. You might not have noticed it, but your brain did. Yeah. All right. I'm ready to hear it. I'm ready to hear, I'm it. Ready to hear it, too. All right. Well, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs that we picked from Handel's Messiah. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode of the Good Music Podcast is brought to you by Southern Safe Rooms. When severe weather threatens, you want the maximum protection for you and those you love. If an intruder forces their way into your home, you need a secure space for you and your family to take shelter in order to stay safe. If you want a secure place to store your guns, guitars, or other valuables like drums, A custom shelter is the solution you need. Southern Safe Rooms builds custom certified safe rooms that can be installed in your home, garage, workshop, or anywhere you have a concrete reinforced slab. Southern Safe Rooms builds all of our safe rooms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can install them on any reinforced concrete slab. The Southern Safe Rooms custom storm shelters can withstand wind speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. Southern Safe Rooms have been tested by Texas Tech University and are built to exceed FEMA standards to withstand an EF5 tornado. The Southern Certified Safe Room is constructed with the highest quality materials, far exceeding conventional storm shelter construction. With over 110 years, count them, of steel manufacturing experience, Southern Safe Rooms knows how to build a secure shelter for your home. Call 918 Five eight four three three seven one, or visit our website southernsaferooms.com Welcome back everyone to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Georg Friedrich Handel and his great oratorio Messiah and now it is time to get into our six song segment for the episode and for those of you who are new, welcome and you're probably confused as to what this segment is. So, Lucas, could you alleviate their stress? So, this is our opportunity to kind of just dig in and talk about the songs in particular. 
to um, get to know this genre of music and handle as a composer. So these six songs are picked to give you a good representation of what an oratorio is like, what the characteristics are, as well as to hopefully get you intrigued to listen and learn some more about it. Uh, also, I've picked the songs to where they flow well with each other from start to finish, they transition, and that by the end, you hopefully have a emotional, cathartic experience. So Ethan and Grant have never listened to these songs before. They have no idea what's going to be coming next. So they're going to be listening to them live and giving their reactions. Mm-hmm. If you would like to join in on that fun, there's a link in the description of the episode to go to a Spotify playlist. Uh, it has all the songs that we're going to be talking about. So we're going to count three, two, one, play. You can do the same thing as well, and you can have like a little bit of a commentary track. I find that it has been fun these last couple of weeks trying this out. Let us know if you've liked this new format or not. And uh, with that, we're going to get started. We're actually not going to be starting with the first song of the piece. Are, we, are, the, are the songs going to be in order, or are we jumping around? They are in order, but there's... It's kind of like, like Morphia, where it's like, we're not... We can't do all the songs. No. Uh, on the album that I picked from this, there's 40 songs. Yeah, no, there's no way. I mean, like, some of them are, like, 17 seconds long because it's – the way that these songs are divided is dependent on what verse they're pulling from because there is not a single thing that is ad-libbed in this or original. Everything is verbatim scripture. That's kind of cool. And of course, you know, it took skill to combine all – Yeah, it's, it's not just saying like, oh, we're just going to go through um, – Yeah you know, the book of Luke or mm-hmm. so there's, there's three chapters to Messiah, three acts, if you will. Act one is the nativity story. Okay. Act two is the ministry, death and resurrection. And the third is, um, us today and the eventual second coming. Okay. So wow, that's just a lot of ground to cover. Yes. That explain why there's 40 songs. Yep. Okay. All right. So it's the full story. So we're going to start uh this I do believe that this is the uh this song is the first vocal moment in the album. Cool. Uh no, it's the second one. Sorry. There's a there's a um a prologue and then this is kind of like really the, the true beginning when the peace yeah. get started so this is every valley shall be exalted you guys can go ahead and count it down all right three two one play so um the text from this is lifted directly from isaiah 44 which is every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill made low the crooked straight and the rough places plain that's it but they're going to say a lot of the same phrases over and over again. Yeah. Um, This is, I like the little callbacks. Yeah. So something you're going to start to notice about Baroque music, Baroque music is very calculated. There's a lot of symmetrical harmonies. 
and melodies to where if something rises, something falls. It's it's not music that's going to try and take you by surprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very logical in its direction that it moves towards. You're not going to get to something and go, whoa, I did not expect that to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what it trades for in um, I guess what you would call originality, I, I don't like to use that word, but like... Predictability. But yeah, it it makes up for in flawless execution. Yeah, this is this is the genre where you'll get the retrograde and inversion and retrograde inversion and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That melodies sound like you've heard them before because you have. They've just yeah. been presented differently. Yeah. And so um, the other thing about Baroque music is that it's going to be very busy. It's going to have a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. As you can hear in his voice, he is just, he is climbing those scales. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, lots props, of trills. props to him. He's just crazy. Like he's all that in one breath. Yeah, um. it's true. <laughs> oh my gosh. Imagine. It's like again, melting it. Yeah. And again, this is going to usually be no microphone. Yeah. So you got to, you got to deliver. <laughs> yeah. You want to cover this song, Lucas? No, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I like all these little, like, he'll sing something and then there'll be like a instrumental callback. I really, yeah. I think that's clever. Yeah. So yeah, like, yes, in Lorfeo, the instrumental sections were important, but here it's, it's almost taking as important of a center stage yeah. as the vocals. I'm surprised that we started off our uh, set with a solo piece. Yeah, it's though, it's an introduction. Right. I feel well, like even this... you stated that like most of the stuff we're going to hear is going to be choral. Mm-hmm. Are they not playing with the full orchestra? Or... We got about twenty seconds left. Yeah, we got twenty seconds left. Okay, I've the, got the mandatory. Add the next one to the playlist. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's ready. <laughs> I felt I like, like this would be a good easing in because yeah. once we get into the next song, we're going to be we're going to be moving. Uh, for... It, it was a stereotypical ending, but I like it. Yeah, it wasn't definitely wasn't stereotypical back then. Yeah, so this this has created a lot. Baroque music created a lot of like the, mm-hmm. the, the I guess the chords that we expect to go to. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Has did Baroque like solidify like chord progression stylistically for the West. Yes. In fact, this is the first kind of music that really had what is called an accompaniment section. It's the official term for it is the basso continuo. And it's it was it's the first time that you had a dedicated rhythm section of something that is comping and keeping everything melodically together. And so, yes, you'll. What it'll usually consist of is um, percussion instruments, the bass, and the harpsichord. And so, you've got the harpsichord that's cording. And a lot of times, the harpsichord would not be notated out. They would just give them the chords, and they would say, mm-hmm. "Just play around with it." Oh, that'd be oh. A now, unless unless it's going to play a very specific melody, right. if not, they'll just say, "Here's the chords. Improvise." 
but don't be noticeable. Yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. massive. This sound. Yeah, the massive sound that we're getting on this second song. Yeah, I like how I like how it's like for unto us a child is born, and then it says live. Yeah, like so we this didn't is. Know. This is from Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Pretty much what you hear at every single Christmas reading. Yeah. This is a really huge sound. There's so many voices right there. Mm -hmm. And the violins are still moving. I mean, that was like... That was like 16th notes of just constant yeah. major movement. Mm-hmm. That's very typical of Baroque music is just this extreme movement at in 16th notes. But again, it's never chaotic and without reason. Mm-hmm. It's very, you, you'll hear the word mathematical used a lot for Baroque mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Where it's just, everything is very meticulously planned yet at the same time in a way that's going to evoke emotion Mm -hmm. yeah planned was a good word it's just strategically aligned or lined out right it's so weird because you're right there's no surprise moments in there and a lot of the music that we have now has that surprise random modulation or whatever. Mm-hmm. That there's there's not that here. And yet your ear will still say objectively, this is like, there's nothing wrong with this composition. It's great. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's as, it's almost as, it's as classic as you can get. Yeah. Like when you just think of like, just a great old piece of music like this is this is the standard that you go to mm-hmm. yeah oh we got some oh, horns in there it sounds like yep horns are now part of the uh part of the fold now something i read is that the original we got 10 seconds yeah we got 10 seconds sorry that's okay the original um transcribing of um this music was not meant to be as big as it is played now, mm-hmm. but that it is um, as people have um, have adapted it over, they've made it bigger and bigger and bigger, adding more orchestra pieces, adding more mm-hmm. voices to sing. Mm-hmm. That it was it was more sparse because they he p- typically played in in smaller venues. Mm-hmm smaller than the venues that we have today <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. That's funny. so, so right. this piece is um hold on ethan count us off yep. three two one go sorry i just i didn't get to i was i was You're still good. on the album and i wasn't on the playlist <laughs> i'll, I'll do a better job of like, calling oh, it out i was just like 10 seconds go <laughs> i was like oh crap i'm not in the right spot where is it um this is the closing this is nice. of act- This is the closing of Act 1. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. So there's two verses that we're pulling from here. First is Isaiah 40, 11, which is, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Then the second half is from Matthew 11, 28 through 29. 
Come unto him, all the, all ye that labor, that are heavy laden, and he shall give you rest. Take his yoke upon you, and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So yeah. this this, this comes story rise right after the angels visiting the shepherds in the field. Mm-hmm. And so you can really see that this this so it's like the presentation of baby Jesus and now it's everyone's joining in um as um yeah. as a chorus declarating what Jesus is going to do here on earth. And then once we start act 2 it actually gets into the ministry it starts with John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about oratorios, how I said that there's not actors, it still would be normal for an oratorio to have characters to where you would have certain solo singers portraying certain parts, although they wouldn't be yeah. acting and they wouldn't be in costume, but it's like, but their you voice know, represents a character. Yeah. When you know, when this person comes up to sing that she is Esther, when this yeah. person comes up to sing, he is Samson. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Messiah is not like that. There nice. are no characters. Okay. What it's supposed to represent is the entirety of Christendom singing together. Oh, that's kind of cool uniting as one and that was a bit of a novel concept to do at that time because i mean you know that it would have been sacrilegious at that time to have someone portray jesus yeah that wouldn't have worked i guess i I wouldn't have i didn't think about that so was this was the intention of messiah to be like a congregational thing where like are these songs written to be sung by the audience or is it, was this more written to, to listen to? Does that, it was, that, it was meant to be listened to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're not going to hear these songs outside of them being performed yeah. at the theater. So unless they have a really good memory and they're definitely not printing out lyric sheets. Yeah. I so, yeah. Hmm. But yeah. This is a, this is a pretty uh, piece. I love that chord that we just hit. Yeah, the three. I it's, love going to threes. It's a lot more down than the other two, but you can tell, like, even while there's that really legato vocal melody up top, the strings are still doing some, yeah, some accompanying. That's not paralleling. It's crazy when you have stuff like this. Um, it's very easy, I would think, compositionally to start paralleling between instruments so you know one goes up the other goes up and whatever um but and it's not necessarily opposite either it's not like they're always one goes up the other goes down uh i don't know it's just it's like they're independent but they're not i don't know it's just one of those things that you're right it's mathematical like he had to have been doing his homework he he needed to have a whiteboard for this (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, something that's astounding about this is that he wrote this entire oratorio in 24 days. What? That is inhuman. He wrote all of his pieces in in such hurried, but the fact that he wrote 
not only his masterwork, but probably the masterwork of the Baroque period, maybe the masterwork of all of symphonic music. It's and he did it in 24 days is just insane. There's some people that say that yeah, the only seconds. way he there's some people that claim the only way he could have done that is if he was being led by divine inspiration. Yeah. That when he wrote the Hallelujah chorus, that he must have actually seen a glimpse of heaven. Or he's an alien. Or, you know, yeah, there that too. <laughs> so now now it's time for that iconic moment. Yep. That that majestic hallelujah chorus. Oh yeah. This would be the so moment big. where you can be like <laughs> It's everybody's ringtone from two thousand and three. <laughs> it's been in so many movies, so many TV shows, like yeah. it's just it's one of those ubiquitous melodies. Everyone knows it. Yeah. So what moment is this actually So this is the end of Act Two. So we spent. Oh, wow. We actually spent quite a while in Act One. Um, Act Two is, for the most part, fairly somber because a good portion of it is the death of Jesus. Yeah. Right. But this is after the resurrection, and this is the ascent to heaven. And so, um, lyrically, this uh, takes from several verses in Revelation. First, we have. Um, Revelation 19.6 Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Mm -hmm. Then we have Revelation 11.15 The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And then Revelation 19.16 simply King of Kings Lord of Lords. Hmm. Is this the first time that we get timpani? Um, I would say probably not. I had no idea that there was a timpani in there. I, until you said that, I didn't notice. I've heard this song so many times. I doubt, because this is, this is quite deep into Messiah as a whole. So I would be surprised if that guy was standing there for an hour, 15 minutes. Like, is this the first, like, we didn't get timpani in Lorfia, right? Oh, uh, no. I don't believe timpani. I thought you were asking if it's the first time in Messiah that it's used. I was like, uh, Timpani as an instrument. No, the the timpani is solidified as a uh, Baroque instrument during this time. Again, it's part of that development of the basso continuo of this rhythm section. So, Ethan, are you hearing what's happening right now? They're moving through the circle of fifths. (laughs) They're They're not necessarily modulating by uh half or whole step but sometimes yeah. it's <laughs> that time it was a half step but <laughs> now we're back to the same um uh, same modulation because we did like a fifth in there somewhere yeah that's funny and now we're doing fifths and fourths all over the place because things are moving at different places and oh man Yeah, I mean, just you can see now why this is such an endearing piece. It's just, it's so immediate and so powerful. And it's just, it's unashamedly what it is. Like, it's just like they just come out of the gates full steam ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. And there's a new melody, but the same rhythm right there. Mm-hmm. And I, what it's doing is it's actually circling through a lot of different uh, old Gregorian oh, chant styles. It's a big, big ending. That organ. Big ending. <laughs> that organ is huge. With the uh, with the uh, timpani. It's weird to not hear like a, like a crash cymbal out of it. Oh, good point. Because, or li- like the ending of Hemispheres. Like a... Like a... <laughs> All right, we're into I Know That My Redeemer Liveth. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, this sounds sweet. Yes, this is this is kind of bringing it back down again. So where is this in Act 3? So this is the opening of Act 3. So this is actually, oh, wow. if you were listening to it on the album, it would come right after it. So we closed Act 2 and opened Act 3. So we've got two verses that we're pulling from here. The first is from Job 19, 25 through 26. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And then it ends with 1 Corinthians 15.20, For now is Christ risen from the dead, the first fruits of them that sleep. I think one of the most interesting things about this is the fact that it is purely Scripture. Yeah. There's no um I think that also delves into the fact that there's no characters. That there's no one giving their account yeah. of what they see, of, you know, or just someone's own new interpretation of God's glory or yeah. the story of Jesus. Like it's verbatim every single thing from scripture. And I had never known that before. And I I think that that's quite fascinating. This is it weird to say this like kind of reminds me of Bambi. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know where you got that, but you're kind of right. Like the music of Bambi, like yeah, because I haven't seen Bambi in maybe twenty. I years. thought you meant the feeling of Bambi. Yeah, well, it's just like everything pre pre death of the mother of Bambi, like 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 the beginning of Fantasia, kind of Bambi. Like all foresty. I don't know. It's just like a lot of the whole Fantasia thing. You lost me with that one. Well, I love this. Yeah, it's it's a melody. That vocal melody. That that like kind of the first thing is sounds so familiar. The vocal like pitch. The vocal ear for pitch has to be impeccable for this, because there's there's very little accompaniment behind that. This this is at this point arias had been established as as a part of opera. Mm-hmm. I believe we had talked about that last time, mm-hmm. uh, an aria being a solo, and so this is meant to be an a the aria for an oratorio. Can you say aria oratorio five times fast? <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> not today. Not I think it's interesting that after the, the big emotion of Hallelujah, we enter something that's so fragile and so humble. Yeah. I think it's a good move. Because that is it's a good move. 
because it's now we we are at the point in the story where Christ is no longer on earth and we are awaiting his return. Yeah. Even in the in the gloom and the and the despair of this world we the only thing we can cling on to is that my redeemer lived and that someday my body will be made whole again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the longest song that we have so far, right? Yeah. Yes, but I believe that the final song is the longest. Yes, it appears to be because I think you already put it on. I just, yeah, I figured we were getting towards the end there. Like, not really. I mean, we just kind of passed halfway. We got two minutes left. Oh, okay. This was just kind of a down song. You know, there's not a whole lot happening. This, I would go so far as to say this one has closer to the musicality of Lorfeo. Definitely hear the, the relationship that Oratorio and Opera has in a. I, I think that the 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 chords and the accompaniment is more advanced, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. the pipe organ seems to have taken a subdued tone as well. It sounds more like a like a like a uh, what's it called? Like, like a real jazz organ. Hearing like movements in this like that like that uh, like the one over three passing chord oh i love that like Mm -hmm. really modern like this could be rearranged very easily into like a modern arrangement oh what are you talking about it already is look at it not look at it listen to it (laughs) (laughs) i know what you mean it's like but like very this is even even more so than Lorfia, who is also close, but it's like right. you can like pick out like you could write the chords out for this, you know, it's, without it's without it having to be without it having to be like notation. You could you know Right. Like you it's can the, your ear can follow where the accompaniment is, which is a cool development and you can like that's predict true. what's next. Everything is everything is clear. You can, um, it's sophisticated, and yet at the same time, it's still accessible to the ear. Right. That's what a lot of, that's what a lot of, um, kind of like that half proggy stuff is, where it's like it sounds really sophisticated, but it's basically just pop music. Yeah. <laughs> half proggy? Half froggy. All right. Well, I mean, you know, like moving and now we're on the last song. Wow. Stuff. All right. Here so we now are. we're the last one. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And this is the, the true ending of the piece. So even though we didn't start oh, with... That chord is awesome. Ooh. Oh, that was like some flavor of diminished seven or something. It was... Uh... Major, it was a three major, but the bass was on the third of that three. The bass was on the third of the three, so there was like a there was a sharp six, or I guess a flat. That's right, flat six. Sorry, yeah, as a passing tone to the six. That's wow to the six major or minor. I don't remember. I'm just I'm enthralled. Because if it was a pass to the six right minor, then that ooh, I don't know what I'm hearing, man. <laughs> oh, there's a sus chord in there. Sus. 
Isn't it so fun to be talking about chords again? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it so is. <laughs> Remember when you guys were guessing maybe there might be a chord? Yeah. They're implying chords. Wow, so cool. Guys, I think it's, yeah, I remember there were a lot of Ethan final thoughts that were like, they implied a lot of chords here. I thought that was really cool. Which is like, in your defense, it was kind of cool. But now we have actual chords that are big and, yeah, like full range chords with extensions and over something special and transitioning into chords that you, half predict but at the same time when it hits there you're still surprised not surprised but like you're still man this this choir is like a big moment yeah so uh our words here come from revelation 5 12 through 13 worthy is the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to god by his blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing Blessing and honor, glory and power to be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. Wow. So they got a lot of uh, material to work with. Yes. As, as It makes sense now why this passage is so long. There's a lot of text. Yes. Yes, there is. Plus, also, you gotta you got to go big at the end. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like of all of our music history like this is the first time i've heard a piece that like really understands the importance of going big at the end yeah even lorfeo wasn't it kind of like yeah the the, my complaint with it is that it kind of rushes through the ending Mm -hmm. yeah but this one like at this point we know that like the the whole piece has been leading to the grand finale the yeah. idea of a grand finale. Why do you think they didn't do Hallelujah at the end? Um. Well, I mean, I think that Hallelujah fits with the context of the yeah. story at that point. Yeah. This Hallelujah is great and big and epic, but I don't. It doesn't feel as right to end things with. Hmm. With this, there's such a a glorious. Uh, yeah. finality to it. Right. Like, it does feel like the culmination of not just six songs, but of two hours yeah. of music finally kind of all coalescing into one final bang. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about your concept record, right? You got the big song in the middle, and then you got the finale song, right? You don't want everybody to be waiting for the big song at the end. Uh I mean, hopefully you should have a grand finale. I remember um, after our Iron Maiden episode, I went and go listen to Number of the Beast all the way through um, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And I texted you, Lucas, and was like, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son didn't really have an ending or didn't feel like it had an ending music. I know. It's it's the one, I think that they, that's the one weakness of that record. Right. And so. Is the worst song is the last song. Yeah, well, for a concept record, I mean, everything's got to be on point, especially, you know, your first song, your last song, your big, like, turning point songs, turning point of the story songs. And Hallelujah is like a turning point song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it closes like, out the second act, so of course right. it's got to end with a with a yeah. pretty huge moment. Right. So, 
it's not necessarily that even, your biggest song have to be has to be your final, but your final song does have to be big. Even in this piece, this piece has evolved a lot from the beginning. That's like, true, and you don't notice it, do you? Yeah, it's just they got away from that big pipe organ and you know more dark tones to now. I feel like it's it's. I'm, I'm starting to see the the end in in the end is coming. Yeah. It's, when... re- it's really weird that we use the term mathematical because it's so correct. But when we talk about mathematical music in another context, we would think something very synthy and technical and like demanding of your mm-hmm. attention and twists and turns all over the place. But this has a lot of twists and turns, but they're so meticulously put in there that it's effortless to listen to. Yeah. You don't have to pick it apart. Everything, like I said, is logical. Right. It's 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 the it's the difference between a script to a, a movie that is just full of yanking you twist and turns versus one that yes the deci- you know exactly where it's going but it's because it's what realistically would happen. Yeah. Versus the movie that's trying to keep you on your toes and going oh what's anything could happen what's going to happen. And then you have the other one that's just like, I know exactly what's going to happen, but... It's yeah. still... Rocky IV. Still satisfying. It's the Rocky IV of music. <laughs> <laughs> we get that long pause. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, is it over? <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, that final amen. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. There and we here's the resolve. Five to the one. Five to the one. What if it went to a three there? Three diminished, augmented. If oh, that doesn't exist, Lucas. <laughs> what, well, wait, what did does. you just say? What maybe did you it say? does. What if we did a three diminished, augmented? What would that even look like? It's making my brain hurt. I'm just not thinking about board. it. Did I just hurt your guys' heart? Wait, wait. Oh, that does not sound. Actually, that might. Wouldn't be... it just be a? Yeah, no. Diminished, <laughs> augmented. You so can. It would just be a three. It would just be a because a minor take a, chord. Take a three, augmented. <laughs> it would just be a minor chord, and then diminish it. Diminish it, so it would just a be flat a, three, flat seven. No, it'd just be a, it'd be a three major. If he just... did three, if he did three diminished augmented minor or three minor diminished augmented, then it would be three. I minor. love that I got you guys to legitimately try. And... Yeah, well, because augmented <laughs> is just a sharp five. Right, augment is a sharp five. Diminished is a flat five. A flat five and a flat three. Yes, and uh, so it would six, be a minor chord. So it'd just be a minor because you would flat the three and flat the five. And then you would augment the five, so it would be right back to being a regular. Or you would, it would just be a a major chord third inversion. Man, we need to top, stop uh, telling people to write sad songs in minor and start telling them to write sad songs in diminished augmented. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be our new joke. <laughs> it, yeah, like giraffe money. Yeah, yeah. giraffe money. money. And uh, for those of you that aren't patrons, uh, one man's meat. Oh yeah, you know I haven't referenced um, 
typo negative in two months. So this is my reference to typo negative right now. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> did you guys enjoy Handel's Messiah? I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to save our final thoughts. Well, yeah, but we got to at least acknowledge that it's done. It is it done. It is done. It's complete. It is done. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about oratorios and specifically about Handel's Messiah. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the episode. We just got done listening to Handel's Messiah. Uh, remember, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it with us, uh, there's a link in the description below. We always do six song sets, and it really sets us up for this next part of our podcast, which is Final Thoughts. At the beginning, we give kind of a scale of one to ten, ranking five. As that's where I was. Five is neutral. Ten is great. One is not so great. Um, but usually after talking through and listening to our six song set, our minds have changed. And so, uh, Grant. Final thoughts about, uh, I guess, oratorios and handle and everything that we've talked about. Wow. Okay. Everything. Um, I am glad that I got to take the chance to listen to more than just the Hallelujah Chorus. I think listening to it again and listening to it more critically than I ever have. You know, I had listened to it critically before, but I didn't. You know, last time I listened to it critically was at least two years ago, you know. Um, and so obviously my music vocabulary has increased. And so it was really interesting to see all of the different, you know, pick up on all the different things. Um, and then also just to remember how great it sounded, right? Sometimes you can remember like all the notes and all the melodies, but you can't really remember the feeling. Um and that was really that was really great to be able to experience that again. I kind of want to go listen to it all just at some point. You know, whenever I have two hours of needing to get things done, I'll probably just put this on and listen to the whole thing. I feel like that'd be an interesting experience. And I'll probably zone out because it's so logical that it'll just it'll just seem normal to me. But I still want to I still want to experience that. And this is like the first music history episode that made me want to go listen to something specific, you know, an entire work specific. So, um, cause I didn't, I didn't do that to Lorfeo, even though I kind of got that feeling. I just, there wasn't that big drive. I think there is right now. To go oh, listen to cool. some, so that's good. That, that's, uh, that's kind of my final thought is that I, I kind of want to hear more. Which is weird for a history episode, but hey, you know. Favorite song? Favorite song. I don't want to be basic and say the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> you can. <laughs> but I'm going to say that. I feel like it's just like Hurt. <laughs> like, that was the obvious best one last week. But if if I didn't pick Hallelujah Chorus, it'd probably be For Unto Us a Child Is Born. I thought there were some really great big choral parts there. I thought yeah. the ending of the set was really good, too. But, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that the Hallelujah Chorus is so legendary, mm-hmm. you know, so it's got to be that. Ethan, uh, I, would, I would say for me, 
I just love the each each week that we do a music history podcast that they're starting not in a bad way this sounds like a negative but like I just love the series so much that like I feel like my final thoughts are always the same where I'm just more and more excited to see the the journey you know to why I think the way that I think about music like it's like this week I was just like oh my gosh there's like chord progressions like legitimate <laughs> chord progressions you know they didn't imply chords this time but like that's what i was saying like lorfia was like <laughs> there are chords but but like it's more felt like in a movement you know there right. it wasn't like oh we're on this part so like the b section has this chord progression you know or the, this yeah, yeah, like yeah. it felt more more modern in how they um expressed the chord changes um and so I, I pretty much say if I got I, my canned answer for uh, music history final thoughts is just that I'm excited just to keep doing more music history because I'm it's like my this is like I, I don't know if I could say that it's my favorite episode that we do all month but man like I'm so excited every time that we do it in terms of uh, Messiah. I would say, I think my favorite song is I Know That My Redeemer Liveth. Wow. And I think it's in context, like after Hallelujah, it's just so big, so massive, just going down to just that girl's voice and like the very simple, but still very complex, like chord movement and all the, how all the instrumentation moves in and out of itself. You know, I thought it was really clever clever writing um i'd say i think my second favorite is worthy is the lamb that was slain and then my third favorite is hallelujah it's probably i've heard the hallelujah course so many times that like hearing other things that are like very similar to it maybe my ears just drawn to it because it's new because hallelujah course is still really good but yeah baroque so you said lucas this is not the only like we're not only doing two baroque episodes no we'll so do we'll at least we're gonna do at least uh three maybe even more depending on if i continue to find more things to talk about but yeah i'm i i didn't even know that this oratorios even existed i had no idea so <laughs> i mean again love i love this this time of the month where we look at the history. Good. I'm glad that you don't go, oh, we got to do one of these music history episodes again. <laughs> um, I would say that my favorite song would be, I mean, it's just, it's so hard to go against that. Hallelujah. Yeah, it is. But also, I really dig for Unto Us a Child is Born. Mm-hmm. They're all good. It's they are all good. good. Um, I will tell you what Harry's pick is. I normally don't show him these because he's. I would assume they're all boring to him. Mm-hmm. But Harry loves Every Valley Shall Be Exalted. Really? Yeah. He's, he thinks it's a silly song, though. He 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 laughs and goes. His voice sounds funny. Did, yeah, did I guess that would be funny. Uh, <laughs> did he want it on his iPod? 
yeah, he put that and Hallelujah on his iPad on his playlist. Check it out. And then he went onto the album and like downloaded like three other random ones. <laughs> and okay. also, I'm I'm kicking myself because I didn't mention Harry's pick last week either. You did mention Callie's pick. Yes, well, her pick for the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Harry became a a diehard Johnny Cash fan, wow. and had added like at least twenty of his songs, maybe even more, onto his playlist. Well, they're they're oh, fun for kids. Like it's just it's very story, very simple. Yeah, it's his uh, he he loved Burning Ring of Fire. Oh yeah, which is what he called it. Can I listen to Burning Ring of Fire? And he loved, um, he loved I Walk the Line. Um, so yeah, for me, doing this episode was just, was really fun because it's, it's like, like we've been saying, now we're getting into the point where it's just like, it's I don't have to search really hard for the music, which is always really fun. That was always the hardest part about these episodes was trying to figure out and not only figure out songs, but make sure that the songs are the way that I'm learning that they're supposed to sound. Because I could see, oh, this is a song that exists from this time period. And I put it on, it's just like, wait, this ver- person's rendition has instrumentation but it's supposed to be vocal only oh, I can't use this yeah that stinks or this instrument didn't exist during this time I can't use that and so it always this. made things very difficult I remember yeah, whenever steer we clear to, from the Joe Satriani cover I remember whenever we used to have problems because it's like this is what we think it sounded like because uh-huh. we can't read the music <laughs> yep so it's really nice to not have to do that anymore um and just hearing music now that is just like this this has stood the test of time to become significant um and just learning all the history around it it's it's it was a very fun episode to put together yeah and i can just continue to foresee these episodes becoming more and more fun oh yeah so uh, that's our episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much for continuing to support us and to listening to the channel. Um, next week starts a brand new month, which means that we're going to have another artist that is going to be picked by you guys. So make sure that you guys are sending in your suggestions. Let us know what artists you want us to cover. And um, the easiest way, though, that you can support us is to uh, hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Next week is going to be one of our volume twos, which is the time when we go to revisit an artist we've already uh, done an episode on. And Ethan, you're going to really like what we've got picked out for next week. Ooh, I'm ready. So make sure you guys tune in for that. Um, we've got two links in the description of our episode. One of them will take you to our Spotify playlist. Please make sure you go listen and check out these songs. And the other one goes to our Patreon page where we have exclusive and early content, including our uh, bad music podcast segment, 
Fortunately, we don't do those for our music history episodes because I can't listen to all of the oratorios to figure out which segments are bad. <laughs> that's that's too much. <laughs> but on our normal episodes, we will talk about an artist's worst songs, and it's a lot of fun. So if you want access to that, uh, go check that out. And uh, find us on Instagram and Facebook. That's the best way to get in contact with us. Let us know what you think of the podcast as well as let us know what artists you want us to cover. And with that, we will see you guys next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.